us to read this chapter. Revelation chapter 16. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. And so the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his statue. Now stop just a moment before we go on. Now remember, we were looking in the temple last week where the angels came out with those seven bowls of wrath. Prior to that, we had talked about the mark of the beast and what that was and, and that you wouldn't take it unknowingly. There's no surreptitiously receiving the mark of the beast. You will know that. We don't know... You know, I, I don't think the thing is to get focused that it's a number on your head or a number on your forehand or something like that. It's to know that you're buying into the world system and worshiping the beast. That's how you know. You've, you've agreed <clears throat> that the only way you should be able to buy or sell is to worship the beast. So that's what that is. So now these bowls that we looked at last week, and remember we talked about this, how similar they were to the seven plagues of Egypt, and we'll look at that again tonight. So the first angel left the temple, poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast who worshipped his statue. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over water saying, You are just a holy one who is and who always was because you have sent these judgments. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It's their just reward. That word, their just, is axios. In other words, it's just, it's balanced. It's like bringing things into balance. That's an important word. There's a news website now called Axios. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord, God the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with his fire. Everyone was burned by the blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. And then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Notice that, on the throne of the beast. And his, the beast's kingdom, was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish and they cursed the Son of God for their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. This is a strange passage right here. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Now, the, in the Jewish thinking, to be naked was the utmost of shame. To be naked, 
uh, was the utmost of, of judgment. And so this here, this imagery is not talking about your clothing as much as it's talking about your deeds of righteousness. And of course, you know, we've already looked at how this are, is the people of God that are coming to Christ after the rapture of the church. So the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew named Armageddon, which literally means Mount Megiddo. And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne of the temple, saying, It is finished. And then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck the worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon split into three sections, and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. Now, I won't have time to go into all the symbolism here, but that's pointing back. Jesus took the cup of God's wrath for our sins. And so the way to avoid this judgment is by placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And then every island disappeared and all the mountains were leveled. This is a huge cataclysmic earthquake. There was a terrible hailstorm, and hailstorms, hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. And they cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Lord, as we look at this final judgment upon the earth, God, as we come to this tonight, Lord, our hearts are broken. At least mine is. I, I read this with a sense of hope and victory, but I also read it, Lord, with such a sense of grief, God knowing what's to come upon this planet for people who reject you and war against you. Now you have promised a great blessing to all of those who read this book, study this book. You've promised a blessing, Lord, to those who preach this book. So now as we wrap up this section of chapter 14, 15, and 16, Lord, I'm asking you to give us eyes to see with. Lord, I made a promise to this congregation. You can understand this book. God would not have given it to you if God didn't want you to understand it. And I pray that you will give me that kind of mountain-moving faith tonight that you spoke of, Jesus. Lord, the kind of faith that the teaching will remove the mountains of doubt and misunderstanding and give us a confidence not only in you, Christ, but in your plan. Everything is under control. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. I almost titled this message this evening, Everything's Under Control, but I felt like that would not really point us towards what the central truth of this entire passage is, and that, that God is a holy and a just God. As we looked at last week, and I kind of walked you through the seven plagues that were in Israel, excuse me, that were in Egypt and what those meant. Tonight, I think it's important that we see that the similarity of these judgments upon Egypt for the mistreatment of God's people is intensified universally for the world's oppression of the church. I'm sorry I couldn't make that any brief or statement, but I needed to bring out something to you. The reason that these that these judgments, you're seeing these judgments and the similarity is 
God was leading his people out of captivity in Egypt. God was delivering his people out of captivity in Egypt. God was calling Israel out of Egypt. He was preserving, he was preserving the messianic line and calling Israel out of Egypt. But what you have right here now is a universal judgment that's coming upon the whole world because like Egypt, the world has always oppressed the people of God. You and I in North America have been extremely blessed and extremely fortunate for the liberties that we've enjoyed. I have ministered in countries where I've seen children beaten by law enforcement for taking tracks from us or taking a balloon from us. I have been threatened with prison and taken to jail because of preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not known this sort of, of persecution and hostility. Did I just lose power? There we go. Now we're at a place where we're beginning to see that there is an increasing hostility even against the church here in the United States. And so you need not be afraid and you need not fear for everything is under control. God's got this. Can you say amen? And there will come a time when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Those of us which are alive and remain shall be caught up with him to meet him in the air, and there we will rejoice with him forevermore. But there is still a plan that is going to be taking place upon this earth as God in his mercy continues to work with people, but as he brings the end time, uh, all these end time events that are in the book of Revelation to conclusion. I want you to notice the verse of Scripture. It's, of course, it's not in your outline. We just couldn't put everything in there tonight. I think you have several pages this evening. The Bible says the angel left the temple, poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. If you have your Bible, Revelation chapter 16, I think the thing that I'd like you to see in verse 2 there is, and this is important to understand, for us living today, our protection doesn't come because we're Americans. Our protection doesn't come because you're Canadian. Our protection comes because of the Lord. The world systems, what you're seeing here is the beast setting up the most powerful universal system that's ever been set up, and yet he cannot protect you from the wrath of God. God is in control. God is in control in China tonight. And for whatever the reasons and his wisdom and his counsel that there tonight, there is this fresh purge of missionaries that's taking place from China. There's this fresh persecution that's taking place in China. We actually have missionaries that are being booted out of the country right now because Jinping is, is afraid of his people. He's afraid of the church. And that's the reason that the, the hostilities are increasing. They don't want a repeat of Tiananmen Square, but they are very nervous right now. And so you see persecution that is not only broke out in China, but you see persecution that is broken out in parts of Southern Asia. You see it throughout the Middle East and in parts of Africa as well. There's another thing I want you to see here, and that the fact that this, this judgment is universal, and it's all because of the persecution of the church. The Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 16, that when the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, it became like the blood of the corpse, and everything in the sea died. Now, I don't know if that literally means that the sea is going to turn to blood. I don't think that's what it is because that word like, it's not an insertion, it's not an editorial, it's in the Greek. It's like the blood of a corpse or like the blood of a dead person. So something is going to happen ecologically in the seas that are going to cause a dramatic loss, a total devastation of marine life that's going to come upon this planet. 
You hear warnings of that right now from environmentalists who are very concerned about the delicate balance that is in our oceans, about the delicate balance that's happening right now in the Antarctica, in Antarctica and in the Arctic zone. You hear about the, there, there are places in the ocean where I, I just Googled to look this up because I'd heard it, where there are literally islands of plastic and garbage that have just collected in the middle of our ocean. Our world is beginning to experience these birth pangs right now. But again, these are similar to the same plagues that came upon Egypt when the Nile turned to blood. The fresh water, according to verse 4, is going to be is going to be threatened as well. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs, and they became blood. If you remember the Egyptians and their wells, their water became blood. And friends, when this happens in that time, during the what we call the Great Tribulation, when this begins to happen, the entire world is going to be suffering, and the entire world system as we know it is going to be <clears throat> under threat of extinction unless God does something about it. Which leads me to this. It is just absolute insanity for human beings to continue their war against God. It is the utmost of insanity. I used to preach a message on the insanity of choosing to go to hell. And this was back when I was, the days when I was traveling and I would talk to young people and I would talk on college campuses. This was more back in a day where most everybody would agree with you that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Most everybody would agree with you that the Bible was the Word of God. You know, where the people live like that, they agreed with that. And today with the, and, and I thank God that we've had so many immigrants come to our country. I thank God that the people have come from all over the world. It's just a great opportunity for you and I to evangelize. We're not threatened by that. And that's not to be meant to be a political statement about a wall or the borders or anything else. I am thankful for every person that God brings across our paths that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with. And so we live in a country right now where there are all these competing world views and these competing world religions. Let's not think for a moment, oh my gosh, we're losing America. We're not losing America. We have Christ and we have been made more than conquerors and this is our greatest opportunity. And somehow or another, we have to help people understand and see the very senselessness of living a life. We would call that insanity in mental health when you continue to know that there is a God. And the reason I say this is insanity, because over and over in this particular chapter, you'll read this phrase, rather than repent, they cursed God. Uh, this afternoon, I was sharing a little bit about the message with Norma, and Norma says, you know, uh, people don't even believe in God until something goes wrong, and then they want to blame God. And that's a pretty astute observation on her part. Don't you agree? You know, so many people who don't believe in God, and then when something bad happens, they say, how could God allow this? Or this is God's fault. We even call it in our insurance policies, so if something bad happens that we can't explain, we call it an, an act of God. Well, I'm so grateful that you and I talk about the acts of God in Christ Jesus at Calvary, the acts of God in resurrecting Christ from the dead, the acts of God in healing the sick, the acts of God in saving the lost, the acts of God in feeding the hungry. Our God is a good God. Can you say amen? And he is an awesome God as well. But these judgments of God, part of what you're seeing in this chapter is the testimony to the world that God's judgments, they're just, they're axios, they're balanced, they're true. And they happen because that's the nature and the character of God. 
There are certain things that if somebody told me Becky did, I would laugh my head off because I know the nature and the character of this woman that I have spent 43, two years of my life married to, you know, 43 is coming up. I, I know her. I know what's in her nature and I know what's in her character. I remember years and years ago, I was preaching here and I, I said, if you ever hear certain things about me, you can laugh because they're not in my nature or they're not in my character. And there are certain things that if somebody was telling me about you, Bob, or you, Lowell, or you, Olivia, I would say, that's just not true because I know their nature and their character. Listen to verse five, uh, verse five. And I heard the angel who had authority over all water saying, you are just, O holy one, who is, who always was, because you have since these judge, sent these judgments. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. There's several things that I want you to see here. God is justified in giving them blood to drink because they have followed the dragon and they have shed the blood of so many. They have shed the blood of the people of God. All of these people who martyr Christians right now in the name of Islam and then go blow up a bomb somebody because they think they're going to get 70 virgins in paradise will stand before a God that will judge them for their sins. You see, we don't oftentimes like to talk about the judgments and the justice of God because in America, we kind of believe if everybody's good and all religions are the same. I was just listening to somebody say that on the television the other day, that all religions are basically the same, that it's just mankind's search for God. I was even surprised they used the word mankind in this area where we're supposed to be politically correct, but nothing could be further from the truth. The God you serve has everything to do with how you live. And when you're in India, and if you go to some of the temples that I've been to, and if you go to Thailand, and you go to some of the temples that I've been to, if you go to some of these places, and you see the stories told, their gods are God of injustice and gods of blood. If you go to Greece, and you go back through those temples, and you go back and you read the stories, their gods are capricious and lustful and violent and just. But when you see and meet Jesus Christ and reveals the nature and the character of God, it doesn't line up with any of the other world's religions when it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the, the, the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. You see, you're seeing the balanced judgment of God being revealed. The lamb, according to this chapter and according to this whole section, 14, 15, and 16, the lamb, Jesus Christ, is worthy, it's balanced, it's sane, it's smart, it's wise, it is the mark of a sane mind, of a sound mind, of a healthy mind to give praise and worship and honor to God. It's the mark of a sound mind to adore Jesus Christ. It's what we sing at Christmas. Oh, come let us adore him. Maybe we should sing that song all year long. Oh, come let us adore him for he alone is worthy, Christ the Lord. And yet at the same time, the insanity is to reject him. But you and I have to recognize that the enemies of God are worthy of the justice that they are receiving. And so we look at this and, and though our hearts break, we have to understand they're worthy of the justice that they're receiving. Back in the 80s, there was a young Chinese man, Victor Chen, beaten to death here in Detroit. 
And some of you may remember that story. It was two Chrysler workers that, that um, this is when the Japanese were really making progress and taking over the American car market, it seemed like. And these two men were, had a little too much to drink, and they got into an argument with this guy who was at his bachelor's party by the name of Victor Chin. And they had a scuffle inside the bar, and when he left, they followed him out the bar, and one of them beat him to death with a baseball bat across his head. He died two days later in a coma. So what should have been his wedding turned into a funeral for his service. And yet there was something that happened to Detroit. The reason I tell you that story is because those men basically got off with a $3,000 fine and no jail time. And later, the courts revisited that, and there was, a, there was quite an uprising among Oriental people. You see, sometimes we see things, and we want to turn a blind eye. Just like in the days of Jim Crow laws or in the days of slavery, we turned a blind eye. Because certainly we don't want to judge. But when God looks at human beings, red and yellow, black and white, God judges us all the same. You either are judged in Christ, or you will be judged for your sins. Unless you think I'm just exaggerating this, I sat down this week and was watching a news broadcast of four young people, young adults today. All four of them were the victims of botched abortion attempts. One of them was sitting there missing an arm because during the botched abortion attempt, he was born alive without a limb. They put him aside thinking he would die, and he lived, and he ended up being adopted by the family that raised him. All four of these young people were raised in Christian homes, and this wasn't on CBN or some Christian network. This was on a major news network that I was watching this story. And so the question was asked, how do you feel about the people who aborted you and the doctors? And all of them expressed forgiveness, and all of them expressed, you know, love, and all of them expressed gratitude for God, and all of them expressed gratitude for their adopted families. But to listen to them talk about the abortion industry and the things that Governor Northam has said and the things that have happened in New York, there is a shockingly insightful view that comes from those four young adults about the horror of abortion. And America has shed the blood of so many unborn children. Friends, as I said last week, Billy Graham said that if God did not judge America for its sins, he would have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah to apologize to them. There are two principles at work here, and both of them are just wonderful principles that you can either make positive or you can make negative. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says that a, a man reaps what he sows. And I know that's a difficult thing for us to understand in our world today, but we understand it when it comes to farming. We understand it when it comes to finances. We understand it with our relationships with one another. But there is another principle here too, and the only place to find safety because those people that will die, look at me, those people that will die in the tribulation, those people that aborted those, tried to abort those four young people, those people today who are committing atrocities in, in Bulgaria are committing atrocities in Iran are committing atrocities in Sudan are committing atrocities in Southeast Asia. They are no more deserving of judgment than what I am deserving of judgment. The only thing that protects me from judgment is my faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So when you read this, you don't read it going, yes, God, get them. 
you read this with a broken heart because you realize that all of us, all of us, and it's hard for us to grasp when we live in a world where everybody's all right and everybody's okay and everybody's basically good, we have forgotten the heinous nature of what sin is and what sin does to people. What you see doing today is one of my professors told me in college years and years ago, years ago, long before I married Becky, he said, every sin that you see that a Stalin or a Hitler or anybody else has committed, you have to remember, you're capable of the very same sin without the new nature of Jesus Christ. It's why husbands kill their wives sometimes. It's why teenagers kill their parents sometimes. It's why people that you would never expect to be a bomber becomes a bomber. It's because of that hideous nature of sin that dwells within us. So now these persecutors must drink blood, according to the Bible. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And this is in verse 8, if you want to follow along with me in your scriptures. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by the blast of its heat and cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turned to God and give him glory. What you have to see here is that they knew that God was behind these plagues. They know that. And look at me this evening. There are people tonight who deny God, but they know that there is a God. And there are professors, and there are, there are bosses, and there are neighbors, and there are influencers in our world. They know that there's a God, but to admit that there's a God and confess that there is a God and confess that Christ died for our sins is to admit and say, then I need to yield my life to him and live for his glory and not for my vanity. So that's what you see going on here. The sun, uh, I have often wondered, I remember as a child, we were told there was going to be another ice age. We were told our sun was going to burn out and that there would be another ice age. And I remember sitting in the planetarium. Does anybody remember that, you know? I remember sitting in the planetarium and they were showing us all these pictures of ice covering the earth and the sun burned out and then finally it went dark because we were down in this secure base uh, place where there was some food and water and energy and the energy runs out and and you hear the heartbeats boy this was dramatic I can still remember the nightmares from it and boom and that was the fate of planet earth I came home and told my daddy that he said that ain't going to happen Jesus is going to come back one day boy and we're going to live with him for heaven and evermore and I went back and told the teacher I said that ain't going to happen Jesus is going to come back and now, instead of there being a, a, an ice age, we're told there's going to be another global catastrophe. Well, there will be a global catastrophe. And this time, it's going to affect the sun. I don't know if it's a, a, if it's a massive solar flare. I don't know if it's the blowing up of a star somewhere. But I will tell you this. People know that it was God, and they continue to curse God. I had to ask myself this question. Why don't people repent of their sins? Why don't, when people know that things are happening, why don't they repent? And I think I got an answer in reflecting upon the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Becky and I were listening to a, a pastor preach about the rich man and Lazarus recently, and he is probably one of the greatest storytellers I've ever heard. He was just the way he was telling the story. And I kept looking at Becky and said, I've never thought about that. I've never thought about that. Just a magnificent storyteller. But I have really been thinking about that, that, that message that he preached on the rich man and Lazarus. 
And you know, even though living human beings know that God is behind the judgments, they refuse to repent of their sins. Dead human beings are saying, send somebody back. Remember that? Send somebody back to tell my brothers so they don't perish in this place. And Abraham says, if they won't believe the prophets, if they won't believe the word of God, they won't believe somebody that comes back from the dead. And I'm not sure how C.S. Lewis came to this conclusion. I've read his book over and over and over, but he makes a big leap of faith. But I've just about come to the place that I believe he's right. That in hell, people will still hate God so bad that they wouldn't want to be in heaven because then they would have to admit God is right. Think about that. Lucifer knows what the end is going to be, and yet he still rebels against God. And in insanity, I have watched that happen working in mental health. Insanity is continuing to do something that you know is going to continue to bring you harm or pain or harm or pain to someone you love, but you just can't stop doing it because you're insane. And by the way, there's a little bit of insanity in all of us. One out of four of us are mentally ill. So look at your neighbor tonight and say, is it you? <laughs> Ruth, you didn't have to laugh that hard. <laughs> you see, the insanity, sin will drive you insane. And I'm not saying that people with mental health problems that their reason for their problem is sin. I'm just telling you, it's insane to rebel against the Lord. Look at what happens. And he knows this is going to happen. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. God is not scared of this beast. God is not scared of this antichrist. God is just going to simply dump out whatever is in this bowl upon, and I believe it's the prayers of the church. He's going to pour it out on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom will be plunged in darkness, and his subjects will grind their teeth or ground their teeth in anguish. Can you feel that? I can just feel that sense. Remember again, back in Exodus, the darkness was so real in the book of Exodus that they could feel it. But why did it come? Because they had shed the blood of the people of God. They were slave masters. And Pharaoh would take the baby boys and have them murdered and have them killed at birth. Remember that story? And they received this regional judgment that one day will come upon the whole world because no matter where you go in the world, from the islands to the nations, you're going to find people who love Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? Well, the third thing I want you to see, the consequences of sin are different than God's final judgment. And sometimes when people read Revelation, they come to me about this. You and I face natural consequences because of our sins or someone else's sins every single day of our life. There are certain things I know if I do it, I'm going to reap the consequences of it. And again, to do it, knowing you're going to reap the consequences of it, what? It's just sheer folly. 
But there are some times that we suffer consequences because of what other people have done to us. And every one of us carries some hurt or carries some pain because of what some, you are suffering tonight because of the consequence of somebody that has done something to you. Some of us in this room, we suffer tonight because we live in a fallen world and there's genetic disorders or physical disorders that we won't have in heaven, but we suffer because of the universal scourge of sin that is our lives. There are bad things that happen in life when you sin, but that is not the same thing as this final judgment that comes from God. There's this, it's finished. God is pouring, and last week if you remember, I said his wrath will be satisfied. God is pouring it out. And so what I want to ask people sometimes is if you know that God's going to win, if you know the church is going to win, if you know that the people of God are going to be raptured, why do you continue in your sins? And people will look at me and it's like talking to a four-year-old. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Or else they'll say this, and it's like talking to a teenager. I know. I know. I know. Just like the four-year-old, you don't know nothing. The final judgment of God will be severe. It will be because of the consequences of the universal sins of this world and what they've done. When I'm burned by sin, I ask God to forgive me. When I'm burned by sin, I ask God to restore me. If I get angry and I say something to Becky that's hurtful, I apologize to God. I apologize to Becky. I will not come. And, and, and I'll tell you, sometimes I hate saying things because it seems like I'm going to get tested on it. I will not come to this pulpit with unconfessed sin or transgression against my wife or anybody else. I will not do it. Never have done it. I, I examine my heart every time before we take communion. The Bible says, for this cause many are sick among you, and some are even dying because they partake of the communion in an unworthy way. They don't deserve the body of Christ. You say, Pastor, that's superstition. That is not superstition. God delivered us from superstition. That's trusting the Word of God. Forgiveness and repentance are good for me. Now, you may be a whole lot holier than I am, and you may not need to repent, but there are times when I just need to say, I'm sorry. Okay? And just because I don't want those consequences. I don't want a rift in our relationship. I don't want a rift in my relationship with Christ. And then I don't want to stand up here battling a conscience that is condemning me because I'm talking about forgiveness and I'm talking about repentance when I haven't taken care of things at home. There's an old Southern saying that goes, sweep your own back porch until you try, before you try to sweep somebody else's front porch. Hello? And so I would like you to stand with me tonight. I want to just walk you, I just want you to, to read this out loud with me and we're gonna stop every time there's a, the word interlude comes up. But this was one of the Psalms of David. It's a Psalm of repentance. And you ought to mark this in your Bible uh, for whenever you, you know, you need this prayer. It's a great prayer to pray. All right, we'll start with, oh, what joy. Oh, what joy for those, help me read it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord is cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. 
Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Interlude or pause. Now, let me help you with that. The first epistle of John says, if we say we have no sin, we're lying. We're calling God a liar. David is saying, it's honest to confess your sins. That's what he's saying. And then... God clears us of the guilt of that sin because of what Christ has done for us. Can you say amen to that? And if we refuse to do so, our strength, that could be physical strength, that could be your vision, that could be your stamina, that could be your drive, that could be your, your marriage, that could be your relationship with your children. So it's an honest thing to confess your sin and you're cleared of it. It's a dishonest thing to go, oh, I don't have any sin. I don't need to confess anything. It's why I pray daily, three times a day, our Father which art in heaven. You know, I need lots of confession, okay? So pray for your pastor, all right? I need lots of confession. And I'm sure you don't because, I, and I, I don't say this, I mean it. You guys are the most wonderful people in the world. I tell people that all the time. But sometimes, sometimes, look at me, sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, I don't want to have to confess the same sin over again. You know, I said, Lord, I've already confessed this seven or eight times, you know? And you just, my pride just, what am I going to get over this? Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And look at the surprise. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. You don't have to live with guilt. Interlude. Think about that. All my guilt is gone. Why? I used, to, I used to preach a message called One More Night with the Frogs. You remember when Pharaoh says, get rid of these frogs for us? And Moses said, I'll get rid of them if you'll do this. And he says, well, do it tomorrow. Why would you want to spend one more night with frogs in your bed and in your kneading bowl and in your house? Why would you want to spend one more night with your guilt? Oh, I love you, guilt. I love you. That's just the way we're, that's insane. Finally, I confessed and all my guilt. Let's go on. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time. In other words, there come a time when we can't, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and you surround me with songs of victory. Interlude. Think about it. Meditate. Who has the victory? Not the perfect people because that person doesn't exist. It's the people who confess their sins and God cleanses them from them. Then the Lord says, Dennis, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Dennis, I will advise you and watch over you. Dennis, don't be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. For many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice of the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him, and shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you. You can be seated. That, that's just how you pray through a prayer of repentance, and you make the scriptures you're on. The fifth thing I want you to see from this chapter tonight is the most important event in all of human history is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what you're seeing here is the power of the cross and the resurrection of Christ delivering us from all of these things that are taking place in the judgment. I, I, the verses are there. I want to keep rushing on with time. So I want you to look at point number six. 
God's wrath is holy and just. God, this is important. God has not lost his temper. That's not what this is about. God hasn't gone, I've had it up to here. Have you ever said to your kids, I've had it to here? Now it's to here. If it gets to here, there's going to be trouble in paradise. You know, I used to tell my kids, I'd give them to a count of three. One, two, three. They didn't obey. Then they got three whacks with Sam on their back ends. My daddy's house, one night, Andrew was jumping on the bed. Daddy said, Andrew, stop jumping on the bed. Andrew didn't stop jumping on the bed. So daddy just reached up, took Sam, whacked him three times on the bottom. Andrew goes, my daddy always gives me to three. <laughs> Papa Buford said, I'm not your daddy. <laughs> That's the way things went when I was growing up. It's a little more merciful. You know, God, is, God doesn't lose his temper. God is not unjust in what he does. I heard the angel who had authority over the water, and I wish I had a little more time, but there is a cosmic order of things that we, you know, we're not supposed to be looking after angels, seeking after angels, but there is, evidently, there are angels given certain authority over things to protect. So I heard an angel who had authority over the water saying, you are just a holy one who is and who always was because you have given you have sent these judgments. But here's the important point I want you to get out of all of this. And this is what I think confuses Christians. Number seven, God still honors the dignity of unrepentant people. God's not going to force you to serve him. God's not going to force you to love him. You choose to follow Christ or you choose to reject Christ. Everyone was burned by the blast of this heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues and they did not repent of their sins and turned to God to give him glory. Warren Wiersbe, who in my opinion was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived outside of Billy Graham, he said, if men and women will not yield to the love of God and be changed by the grace of God, then there is no way for them to escape the wrath of God. The wrath of God is what will ultimately, finally, and completely deal with sin. God gives us space and times to repent. But in chapter 16, as we're looking at this final judgment and we're headed close to the end of the book now, and I told you things will really speed up here, the more the judgments intensify, the more the world hardens their hearts. And that's exactly what happened with Pharaoh. And sometimes you'll meet people and you'll think, their life has been so hard. Why don't they repent and turn to Jesus? And this is why. Because there is a part of us, I want to be in charge. You remember that famous song that Frank Sinatra used to sing, I did it my way? That's a, that is an anthem of hell. I did it my way. You know, I remember one time, in, once again, my son Andrew I'd ask him to do something, and he was just being a little circuit. He and I have talked about this several times over the years. And I said, Andrew, the important point is not how you do it. The important point is that you do it, and you do it the way I ask you to do it. And you see, sometimes we don't understand. Why does God say forgive our enemies? Why does God say, you know, if you've... Poor people matter to God. Are we in America who have so much and people that don't want to tithe, and people that don't want to give to missions. And any sign of a repentant person, John says, if you've got two coats, give one of them to somebody that doesn't have a coat. 
You see, we have so much that I'm afraid that what's going to happen in America is we're going to stand before God with all the affluence that we have enjoyed. And God is not against prosperity. God is not against uh, us increasing in wealth. The Bible, we, I've taught on that many times. The Bible's full of that. But God is against hoarding and turning our hearts hard against those who need our help. And sometimes we as Christians have to look at that as well. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, personally, have you ever battled against God? Have you ever tried to defy God? Has God ever dealt with you about something that you know you should do and you just couldn't trust him? You didn't want to trust him. You didn't want to do it. I've watched, when I was working in mental health, I've watched people that I knew they knew they were going to get beat up. And they would keep egging somebody on until finally they just got their face smashed. And we'd run in there and try to rescue them and they'd get hurt. And you wonder why. Right up to the end, people respond the way Pharaoh responded. Look at verse 21. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Remember these hailstorms that were falling out? Men are going to war and battle against God right to the end. Here's why I think part of that's going to happen. I want you to look carefully at verse 12 through 13. And I think this is so appropriate for the day that we're living in right now. Now, it's 508. If you need to leave, please feel free. You won't hurt my feelings or disturb me. But I, I want to finish with this chapter tonight because we've been in these three chapters for a long time. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River. Now, that river is 1,728 miles long. It's one of the great rivers of the world. Becky and I stood at a beautiful fountain that you've seen in movies in Rome uh, where the four great rivers of the world are to find. And one of them is the Euphrates flowing out of that, that river. Andrew was stationed for a long time right along that, that river. It's a massive river. Sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and it dried up so the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Let me, let me tell you what I think is going on here. Number one, that river in the Great Tribulation, God, who's in charge of nature, remember, whatever he says, that river will dry. I don't know. I've heard some prophecy teachers say this is going to be China. I don't like us pegging nations. It could be Iran. The river Euphrates has always been the natural demarcation mark between the Near East and the Far East. It's always been the natural demarcation mark. But you see, history has shown us time and time, empires rise and empires fall. Back during World War II, there were prophecy preachers saying it was going to be Japan because Japan was invading China. And some of the horrible things that I talked about happened to Victor Chin, who was a Chinese-American, by the way, and not a Japanese-American. Some of the horrible things were happening in Korea to the, uh, to the Chinese by the Japanese uh, that they were doing. Then the Chinese have rose now, and they're doing the same thing, but think of what Iran has done. So it could, all it has to be is a nation east that will come across that river at the end. Second thing I want you to see here is, is don't get tied up, because if we start saying it's Russians or it's Chinese or it's J Japanese or it's Iranians, then we get very prejudiced. 
Andrew, again, and I know I'm referring to him a lot, but he and I talked, he, he just poured and poured over the book of Revelation and the book of Ecclesiastes when he was in Iraq for all those years. And he said, Dad, he says, there are a lot of Christians here. And he said, They're being, they've been persecuted. He says, pastor's daughters have been pulled out of their homes and were raped because they were Christians. But, you know, he says, that was before Saddam fell. He said, but now it's so much worse since Saddam has fallen. And so while we're praying for our soldiers to be protected, one night it dawned on me, and I shared this from the pulpit, you know, during the height of that war. While I'm praying for my son and others to be protected from that warfare, there were Christian Iraqis that probably were suffering the consequences of the sin of Saddam Hussein and the war that was taking place there. And we can't just prejudice ourselves against a group of people. We have to see the difference between the people of God and the people in this end time world. Does that make sense to you? you? And we need to make that decision today. The three frogs, uh, the three evil spirits are demonic spirits. you know, I think this is all symbolism right here, but notice a leap from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. I, I think what you're looking at here is, is, you know, President Trump likes to call fake news. I think what you're looking at is propaganda. I think you're looking at, you know, stuff that the, the, the beast, the prophet, and uh, will try to do to, to, to make these armies come and fight. Um, uh, look at, uh, with me at verse 16. We get down here, verse 16. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of the Almighty. These demonic spirits that work miracles, you need to remember Jesus cautioned us about false counterfeit miracles. But Jesus also told the Jews, and and you need to listen to me on this, I believe in miracles, and I believe in signs and wonders. But Jesus taught, don't go looking for them. Don't go chasing after them. Because you can get easily deceived when you go chasing after them. And all somebody has got to do is get a television program and, and something, and all of a sudden people want to flock because everybody wants to see a miracle. Even Herod wanted to see it. The Bible says Herod was hoping Jesus would perform a miracle for him. If any of you are old enough to remember Jesus Christ, superstar, you know, they had Herod in there singing, you know, let me see you dance across my swimming pool, you know. Uh, Don't go chasing after miracles. Follow the Lord, and when a miracle is needed, you can count on a miracle happening. Okay? That's the thing. Well, then this, this, this... prophetic passage, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready, so I have not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. What God is saying to his people there is, number one, you've got to be able to discern truth from error. The metaphor is not that Jesus is a thief. Jesus has already come and raptured the church. Jesus will come again. There will be a resurrection of those who died in their sins and a resurrection of those who, who were alive and, and suffered for Christ during that. We'll get to that in the book of Revelation. We'll go back to the book of Ezekiel and look at that as well. But what you have to see here is that when this second coming takes place where Jesus will literally come back to the earth, not when he comes and we rise to meet him in the air, but when he comes 
back to the earth. There's a distinct difference there. The first Thessalonians is that he will come, we will rise to meet him in the air, there we shall be with the Lord. Then that second coming, which I'm getting ahead of myself in, in the future messages, when Jesus comes then, this is the people he's talking to. It'll be, it'll be sudden, it'll be quick. They're not gonna be expecting it. I think I just need to say a couple of other things about this and then I'm gonna close this up quickly. Becky, if you'll come on up, sweetheart. Live for God and not yourself. Live for God. If you'll live for God, you don't have to worry about the spirit world. I don't go around worried about demons or angels. I'm grateful for the presence of angels. I just don't go, you know, looking for them. I don't think there's any sense in that. I don't think that's what the Bible tells us to do. And by the way, I don't see any female angels in the Bible, and every time I go to a store and they're selling angels, they're always the prettiest, cutest little girls you've ever seen in your whole wide life, you know? Uh, I think that's just romantic stuff that people come up with. This final scene happens at a place called Armageddon. I've been there. It's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous on that mountain. It's where Elijah had that great battle with the prophets of Baal. It's also where Saul and Jonathan were slain. It's also a place where Josiah was in a battle and because he shouldn't have gone and he ended up dying. But when you look at Megiddo, you need to understand God's good and perfect plan. God is judging sin. He's dealing with this world. Zechariah prophesied about this battle, Armageddon. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. Then just skip down a verse or two in Zechariah 12. Then God says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me for whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. The sorrow and mourning in Jerusalem on that day will be like the great mourning for Hadad Rimmon in the valley of Megiddo. Hadad Rimmon was, a, was an idol that people had worshipped. I don't know when Christ is coming back. I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I firmly, firmly believe it could happen tonight. I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen tonight. I firmly believe, I've always felt, it could happen in my lifetime. But I taught my children and I have taught you to live prepared as though it may not happen for another 500 years. But be ready in case he does come tonight. It's why I build relationships with people outside the body of Christ who reject Christianity and who reject Christ. It doesn't matter to me whether they're Hindu, it doesn't matter to me whether they're Buddhist and they don't believe in a God at all. It doesn't matter to me if they're Jewish or Mormon or, or if they're Muslim or atheist. I hope to see them come to faith in Jesus. I do, I pray, I hope to see them come. But I will never try to forcibly manipulate them or in any way do anything that would be perceived as somehow or another inauthentic to the way I see Jesus doing ministry. And Jesus just loved people. He answered their questions. Peter went in to, excuse me, Peter, Paul went into the, 
to the Greek Oropicus. He didn't tear down the idols. He didn't take a hammer and start bashing up the idols. He just went in there and he says, you know, I notice in all these idols you've got, you've got one here to the unknown God. Can I tell you about this unknown God? And some people mocked him and some people came back the next day to listen to him again. Another lifetime ago when I got to go and preach in Greece and I spent two weeks preaching there and I had a free day and I went to Athens. I climbed up and I preached on top of the Oropicus on both sides, right outside that great big temple. And people gathered around. There were some people that jeered, but then there were a lot of people that clapped and a lot of people that wanted to talk to me. Some, I'm sure, just because, you know, they found somebody they could speak English with. I went down and then climbed up on top of Mars Hill, which is so slick with all the people that have climbed. And I preached again. And again, people, and I didn't, it wasn't a hellfire, I just, who Jesus Christ was, why I believed in Jesus. And people listened. You don't have to manipulate, you don't have to try to, to, to twist people's arms, you just share the love of Jesus. But here's why my heart breaks. Because some of these people that I love, who are my friends, but they reject Christ. They reject the cross and have told me, I didn't need anybody to die for my sins. That when I'm gone out of here, when you're gone out of here, my prayer is the Holy Spirit will bring it back to their remembrance. And Jew and Gentile and Muslim and Hindu and Mormon and Islam and whatever, they're going to cross the line. Because when I read this chapter, it breaks my heart. And I don't want these lost friends who, for whatever the reason, may not believe now. But during that time of the tribulation, because we've had some interesting conversations, that it'll all come back to their memory. God's Word will never fall to the ground void. Can you say amen to that? So here's what I think you should have in your growth work. Be confident. God's just and true judgments. Don't ever feel like you've got to apologize for God. Don't ever feel like you've got to apologize for the book of Revelation. Number two, work diligently to reveal truth, expose darkness, and discern between propaganda, fake news, and truth. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump right there. But I can't wait to share this with some of my friends. I have a document that I downloaded today. It was sent to me. Over one thousand scientists have signed a protest petition over the forced teaching of evolution in our schools in our universities and in the academies and in the persecution of scientists who don't believe that and not all of those scientists are Christians some of those scientists are not Christians at all but they say there's just not enough proof to be so dogmatic about evolution that there is no way that this world and the people inhabit this world are just the product of a chance causation. There is a God behind it. And so we need to be students of the Word and we need to be students of the culture. And then finally, humble yourself before the Lord. 1 Corinthians 8, 2 says, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. 
Galatians 6.3 says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. You know, sometimes you can fool yourself by saying things like this. I don't know enough about Revelation, so I can't help somebody. Bring them to church with you. Bring them to small group with you. Play these messages back for them. If they're interested, they'll listen. Let me tell you something. When I'm interested, I dig. My strength finders, that's one of the things about me. When I'm interested in something, I dig and I dig and I dig. That's part of why I think God called me to be a pastor. But if somebody's hungry, they'll listen. They'll read a book. If they're not hungry, they're not going to read a book or read their Bible or pray anyway. But when you're hungry, you're going to dig. Can you say amen to that? And then the third thing, each time the Lord said to Paul, that's who he is, the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. I'm not there yet. I still struggle. I say, Lord, do this, do that. But the Apostle Paul had got this place where he says, I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Will you stand with me tonight? You can do this. Jesus, I thank you, first of all, for the good and wonderful hope that we have. The news that, God, there's coming a day when the trumpet of God is going to sound and those who have died in Christ, those that I've buried from this congregation, they're going to rise and we which are alive, we shall be caught up in the air with them to meet you right there, Lord. And thus we shall be with the Lord forevermore. But I thank you that it's your incredible and deep mercy that you're not done with this planet yet. And God, that you will be dealing with the hearts of men and women, that 144,000, those that will turn to follow you. God, those that will be faithful. God, if we think there's bloodshed now, cause us to recognize how deep and how great and intense the violence and the bloodshed will be. God, when the enemy unleashes his oppression against those which are left behind upon this earth that will not worship him it is all he's ever desired it's what your word said that he said that he would exalt his throne above you he would be greater than you god the insanity of thinking you can battle against god i thank you this evening that christ has triumphed over him through the cross and the resurrection for it's in jesus name i pray Amen. There's a lot I didn't cover tonight. We'll keep on going, but who is Babylon? We'll talk about where Jerusalem is and all of this later on. But if you've got any questions, I'll stick around for a few more minutes before I go home and go to bed. God bless you. Good night.